You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to 3CR's Radioactive Show. This show was produced on the lands of Naitahu, Ngāti Māmoi and Waitaha at Ohinehau, or Littleton, in Aotearoa, for 3CR, which is located on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung lands. I pay my respects to elders past and present from across these sovereign nations, whose enduring right to self-determination continues to this day, and which all settlers have a responsibility to support. The Radioactive Show is distributed across the stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network and brought to you with the financial support of the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. My name is AC. On today's show, we're doing a deep dive into the AUKUS deal from the perspective of peace and anti-nuclear activists from each of the AUKUS states, Australia, the UK and the US. Speakers include Bruce Haig, a retired diplomat, political commentator and author from Australia, Kate Hudson, General Secretary of UK's Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, or CND, and Bruce Gagnon from the US, who is the coordinator of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. This audio is from a webinar that was part of the Raising Peace Conference in Nam, Melbourne, in September 2022. We start with Bruce Haig speaking about what AUKUS means for Australia. AUKUS uh, has crept up on the Australian uh, people um, very quickly. There's no AUKUS agreement. It's the most strange situation. Nothing has been put before the Australian Parliament and nothing has really been put into the public domain. There is an agreement that's going to be signed in February but it's very, very limited. It relates to the exchange of information on nuclear technology as it relates to submarines, and that's it. Now, everybody's talking, particularly the the media in Australia, the Murdoch media, but the ABC, uh, are talking about AUKUS as a fixed identity. My belief is that AUKUS came into being uh, not long before the last government um, lost the election. Uh, The Americans could see uh, that the that uh, Morrison, who was the prime minister, was unlikely to be re-elected, and uh, he was uh, their safest bet, together with Dutton, who was the minister for defence, in getting uh, an arrangement in place that would enable the Americans to base and increase the size of their uh, forces in Australia. Uh, they can do some of it can come under existing arrangements that we've got. But none of those existing arrangements have been mentioned in terms of the proposals that keep being leaked uh, into the press. AUKUS began with the cancelling of the submarine deal between Australia and France. Australia was to get uh, French submarines. That deal was cancelled. It's my belief that that was instigated by the Americans who wanted the uh, the French out of out of the region in terms of uh, confronting China. Uh, the Americans see that this is their game and uh, they want to run it. And so they did not want the French involved on a long-term basis 
in what is going to be confrontation, is already a confrontation, but an increasing confrontation between China and uh, the United States. Britain is an also ran in this, and I don't know where they're going to get the money to extend themselves uh, on a permanent basis east of the Suez. On the other hand, the Conservatives in England are very anti-China, so it fits into to that agenda. So the submarine deal was cancelled and new submarines were going to be ordered from the Americans and from the British, either or, or perhaps both. It subsequently transpired that the uh, United States' capacity to build submarines for Australia is zero, and the same with the United Kingdom. They're so tied up building their own new versions of submarines, they've got no space to build an Australian submarine. It is my contention that uh, it was never a proposition that Australia get nuclear submarines. It was always a smokescreen for the Americans to base their submarines here. And that's what they're uh, setting out to do. Uh, Stirling, which is a naval base in Western Australia, just very close to Perth, is being upgraded to take American nuclear submarines. And uh, the Americans or the Australians and the Americans are looking for a site on the eastern coast, maybe Newcastle, Wollongong, to uh, build another submarine base out of mid uh, range of um, Chinese missiles. The submarines will also be able to be based in Darwin, but only on a short-term basis because of the security threat posed by Chinese capacity. So the uh, Americans have already said, and the British are taking uh, personnel from the Australian Navy to train them on their nuclear submarines. Uh, that's purely show. It's not. There's nothing of substance in that. I think what will happen is that um, we'll have American submarines based in Australia that, that have got Australian crew on board and they'll be called joint operational items of equipment. And there'll be talk that, yes, we'll get the submarines, but we, in the meantime, in the interim, this arrangement will cover the gap or words to that effect. There's been no serious discussion. If Australia really wants submarines, there's been no serious discussion about getting off-the-shelf submarines which exist or doing a redesigned Collins-class submarine. That's that part of AUKUS. The rest of AUKUS seems to be increasing the size of facilities in Australia to take on American troops and American equipment. So the Tyndall Air Force Base in the north of Australia uh, is being substantially enlarged the new airstrip is going to be over two miles long and it's getting parking facilities for major aircraft and tankers. There are fuel storage facilities being built in Darwin and again at Tyndall. Uh, the, what they call the joint facility at Pine Gap has been doubled in size basically to watch China and to, to have China uh, in its scope for all sorts of reasons. That is for observation, and also for oper armed operations uh, and for sa satellite warfare and, and so forth and so on. But that's a joint facility in name only. There are a lot of aspects of that facility which uh, Australia uh, is not privy to. So other facilities in Australia, no doubt, will be expanded to uh, assist the Americans. Now, the Americans' intention is to establish the north of Australia as a, a zone of confrontation of China. In the Second World War, America used Australia as a jumping off point to launch its attacks against the Japanese 
in the island. So Australia became a, a bread bowl and also a, a, a training base for large numbers of American troops. And the idea now is to turn the north of Australia into a place from which America can, if, well, certainly intimidate and threaten China, but if necessary, to carry out offensive operations against China, either with respect to Taiwan or with respect to the South China Sea or both. So the our new Minister for Defence, Miles, who's been absolutely swamped by the uh, Washington lobbyists, now talks about the Australian Defence Force uh, having an interchangeable capacity with the United States forces. That will mean that um, the United States will direct Australian naval and air assets because they'll be integrated into American formations. It means that they'll probably establish a a joint command centre in Darwin, uh, which will be basically run by the Americans. And that will be, they'll put a large zone with Darwin at the centre around the northern parts of Australia including the ocean, and any aircraft that fly into that zone will re- need to report to the to this particular facility, and the same with uh, vessels and other operations, no doubt, will be run in all the patrols that the Americans are doing in the South China Sea and air operations that Australia is doing with its P3s uh, in the shipping lanes or, or close to the Chinese coast uh, will be I think, managed from this new facility. It all, none of this has been put before the Australian Parliament and none of us has been put before the Australian people. That was Bruce Haig speaking there about the lack of democratic process on the AUKUS deal. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced on unceded Naitahu, Ngāti Māmoi and Waitaha lands for 3CR and distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network. Next, we hear from Kate Hudson, General Secretary of the UK's Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, or CND. The focus here in in understanding what was going on, particularly from us in the anti-nuclear movement, was the centrepiece of the pact, that this provision of nuclear-powered subs to Australia and all the questions it's raised around proliferation. Our understanding is that it's illegal under international law in in the terms of the NPT and so on. Um, But what has become clear over the past year is the inability of the US and the UK to actually provide these submarines for Australia, certainly as uh, Bruce mentioned, uh, in the short to medium term. And um, we're starting to think now that this means that other elements of the treaty are gaining more significance and other ways are being developed to use Australia's geographical location and its resources for military purposes in the, the US build up against China, which Bruce again was just talking about there. Uh, we see very clearly that the UK is playing its usual support role for the US. And in return, as usual, it hopes to get a lot out of it um, financially, of course, and in other ways, global prestige or whatever it sees it as. So, for example, at the time of announcing the pact, the chair of the Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Committee commented, 
He said, bringing together the military-industrial complex of these three allies is a step change in the relationship. We've always been interoperable, but this aims at much more. We will be able to cost save by increasing platform sharing and innovation costs, particularly for the smaller two countries, that's game changing. So it's certainly in terms of British strategic thinking, this is a big factor. And in fact, when the pact was announced here in Britain, we still had Boris Johnson as prime minister. When he was announcing it in Parliament in his usual kind of bluff way, he gave the impression that there was going to be a big industrial boost to the defence sector as a result of the pact. I mean, you'd think it wasn't anything to do with global geopolitics or whatever. You'd think it was like a kind of arms sales deal. Um, and he implied that sale of the submarine nuclear reactor units, you know, the propulsion units to Australia would come from the Rolls-Royce factory in Derby. <clears throat> That's the factory that produces the reactors for UK subs. And of course, that was popular with some of the trade unions who thought, mm, great, new jobs and so on. So it became a kind of bit of a um, contentious issue. But of course, as Bruce also touched on, this is looking unlikely. And any thought that Britain could build subs for Australia is just not viable. And Britain is currently building two classes of submarine, and it's struggling with both. I mean, the capacity for Britain to deliver these kinds of things is it's just not really credible. So I'll just mention those two classes of subs. So first there's the astute class, and this is the kind of sub that Australia is supposed to want, or that your government claims it wants, which is a so-called hunter-killer submarine. In other words, it's nuclear powered with conventional weapons. And the aim is to have seven subs in this class. Now, they've been building these for 20 years. Only five have been completed and there are still two to go. It's being built by BAE Systems at Barrow in Furness. The programme's running many years late and it's facing massive cost overruns. And then even though they're still building that, they're then looking to, to build, develop a successor to that class. I mean, it's like, I think BAE system once called it like a drumbeat of production. You know, it's like a kind of bit of a gravy train and just produce sub after sub after sub, except that they do have these productions, productions problem. So the program to develop the successor to this class in the 2040s, that's been delayed because of delays with the current production. So the dreadnought class, this is the other class that's being developed. This is the nuclear powered and nuclear armed submarines. There are four planned. There are two in manufacture. They were started in 2016, none yet completed. So they're running late. The first ones are expected early in the 2030s. And again, there are cost overruns. So who knows when these things will be produced? These are also built by BAE Systems at Barrow, and they're actually built in the same dock hall as the astute class submarines. So there is zero possibility of anything else being produced there. 
Um, and in addition, there have been problems with the submarine reactor, the nuclear reactor to power the submarines, um, problems with the ones currently in use. That's led to further delays with the new model. And there is also recognition of a huge skills shortage in the sector and a lack of capacity to take on extra work. So why our government was kind of leading other people to believe that this might be a possibility? I mean, who really knows? Um, in April, uh, the leaders of the three countries stated they were pleased with progress to establish the submarine capability. Why? <laughs> um, and they also announced cooperation on a large range of military developments. So this is what we're looking to now in particular to see what are these other developments that are coming on stream. So at that time, they said they were commencing new trilateral cooperation on hypersonics and counter hypersonics. So the hypersonics is becoming a big deal now. Electronic warfare capability capabilities, information sharing expansion, more cooperation on innovation, cyber, AI, quantum technologies, undersea capabilities, and so on. So a kind of massive expansion of cooperation in these areas. As people will have seen, I'm sure, a few weeks ago, Rear Admiral Admiral Scott Papano, <coughs> Papano sorry, who is in charge of the US Navy's nuclear submarine program, uh, he said that helping Australia to acquire <clears throat> the nuclear subs directly from the US would be too much for the country's overburdened shipyards. So state, same story from the UK. He said, in fact, it would be detrimental to the US. Um, and also the US have now said no to an Australian request for some existing Virginia-class subs. So it's like a big no. So no one knows where these supposed subs will come from. So um, in June, the U.S. Congress passed the Australia-United States Submarine Officer Pipeline Act, uh, which would allow Australian naval officers to begin training in the U.S. to operate the subs. And at the end of last month, a similar announcement was made here in the U.K., when Richard Miles was visiting and he went on a trip with Boris Johnson to Barrow to the shipyards in Barrow for the launch of the fifth astute class sub. And it's been announced that Australian submariners will train on this and the other four astute class subs. So that's that's what the situation is looking like now. So um, I could say then that the submarine plans well, they can be described as a sorry story of over-grandiose, undeliverable plans. Um, but this can't detract from what AUKUS means in wider terms. Um, not only does it exemplify the UK government's vision of a global Britain that is big on the international military stage, um, that bases its economy on the arms industry, it's also a significant factor in the US's drive to maintain global dominance and its push into the Asia Pacific. So to conclude, I would say that international cooperation is needed uh, between the movements in our countries and beyond, not only to oppose the specifics of the AUKUS agreement, but the whole escalatory framework of US policy.
And of course, CND, my own organization, supports the peaceful development of a multipolar world, not unipolar global military domination. Thank you very much. That was Kate Hudson speaking about the need for international cooperation between peace movements in the Asia-Pacific region and across the world to oppose the AUKUS deal. Next, we hear from Bruce Gagnon, who is US-based and the coordinator of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space. In 1997, the US Space Command created a document called Vision for 2020, where they talked about the United States would control space which would allow them to then control the earth below as well. That everything, all warfare uh, in these days is coordinated and directed by space technology. So it's very clear to me that the uh, overarching goal of the United States is domination of the entire planet on behalf of corporate uh, globalization. The U.S. is indeed serious about going to war with China, as others have already said. Just as uh, we see the United States is uh, willing to go to war with Russia today, using Ukraine as a hammer in its toolbox to try to take down uh, Russia. The regime change in Moscow and a breakup of Russia into smaller nations, which would then allow Western uh, corporations to control that vast resource base in Russia. Well, the same goal is in mind when it comes to China. Regime change in Beijing, breaking China up into pieces, which would allow the West uh, to, again, take control of parts of that region, something they had at one time, and they been sorry that they ever lost it. So clearly the United States is moving towards global war that is likely if they continue on their present course to turn nuclear. Kate a minute ago mentioned the multipolar world. This is a serious, serious issue right now. Uh, Just in the last days, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization met and BRICS, uh, which stands for uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, is growing. Both of those organizations are uh, beginning to accept new members, and other uh, other countries are lining up to be part of this multipolar uh, institution that is, that that are these institutions, I should say, that are going to challenge the domination of the Western uh, corporate uh, economic institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. So the US and the other uh, countries in the West know that there's a massive challenge underway and they're on the losing end of it. Uh, The West is uh, maybe what, 20% of the world population as compared to the global South when you add them all up. And so they're very desperate in this moment as they see their long reign of colonial powers fading away. So clearly the United States and its its, uh, agents, I would say within NATO, uh, as they look at uh, expanding NATO into a global 
military alliance, one that they hope will even replace the United Nations. Uh, right now, they have to, U.S. has to go to the U.N. Security Council to seek the uh, unwilling agreement of Russia and China before they can go to war with anybody. But if they can create what they call this new global military alliance, then they think they won't be able to have to get anyone else's permission uh, to go to war. They can just do it on their own. And so that's why we see this uh, desperate expansion of NATO right now. Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, other countries in the Asia Pacific signed up as partners in this NATO expansion. And we see this ever expanding uh, military bases on Guam in uh, South Korea and on Jeju Island in South Korea, Okinawa, Philippines, all kinds of other places where the United States is, is, is expanding its operations. And as Bruce earlier said, uh, U.S. expanding its bases in Pine Gap and in Darwin and other parts of Australia. At the same time, I think an interesting uh, case to follow is Rocket Lab in New Zealand. Uh, it was promised to the indigenous people of New Zealand that Rocket Lab would only launch civilian uh, 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 launches to study the climate change and things like that. But now Lockheed Martin has taken over that launch facility and every single launch so far has been military. And I wonder, as the United States is creating a whole string of rocket launch facilities around the planet, uh, and then and in every case, people are promised that they're going to be civilian, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be for, uh, you know, environmental studies. Uh, but in the end, the military takes them over. And Lockheed Martin seems to be a favorite uh, factor in those takeovers. I wonder if they're at some point uh, creating this capability that they will be able to launch multiple uh, nuclear launches or even conventional launches against Russia and China as part of a global first strike strategy from this string of launch facilities around the world. Uh, it's something I think that we should be paying close attention to. The Pentagon clearly is into, as Bruce sort of alluded to, this idea of interoperability, that all the NATO countries have to buy their military hardware from the United States so that everything would be interoperable, that all the technologies of all the NATO countries would fit into the U.S. warfighting program, which is, again, uh, directed and, and uh, coordinated by space technology. But in the end, the U.S. would be the tip of the spear. The U.S. would be in control. It reminds me of the days uh, of the uh, U.S.-NATO the taking down of Yugoslavia, the bombing of Belgrade. Afterwards, after it was all over, I read in Aviation Week and Space Technology that the NATO countries asked to see the US satellite reconnaissance information about how these bombing raids of Yugoslavia uh, came about. Were they successful or not? And the US, which was in charge of the tip of the spear at the time, 
would not even allow their own NATO partners to have access to that uh, bombing information. This is the kind of situation that we're heading into in this current moment. And so Australia would just be this junior partner as all the other NATO nations would be. And the United States would be the one deciding when to attack, how to attack. So in the end, uh, it's crucial that uh, people in Australia are really talking about this because I must say that in the United States, the peace movement distracted and divided over Ukraine right now is really not focusing that closely on the Asia Pacific region. And so we really need your leadership in, in, from your peace movement. We need the voices of, of groups in the Asia Pacific to really show great leadership at this time. That was Bruce Ganyan speaking about the need for leadership from peace movements in the Asia Pacific region. That's it for today. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, produced for 3CR at my home in Ohineho in Aotearoa and distributed across the stolen lands known as Australia on the Community Radio Network. The audio from this show is from the webinar AUKUS, Perspectives from the USA, UK and Australia, which was part of the Raising Peace conference that took place in NAR, Melbourne in September 2022. It was facilitated by Keith Souter. You can watch the whole webinar and discover more excellent discussions that took place at the conference on their website, raisingpeace.org.au. Radioactive show podcasts, including this show, can be found at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you want to get in touch with us, please call the 3CR office on 03 9419 8377 or email radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.